0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Ambrose Blowfield about aligning core values with the way you operate your business. Ambrose Blowfield, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's a privilege to be with you.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to have a nice conversation. And uh, thank you so much for waking up in the wee hours of the morning. You're joining us from Auckland, New Zealand, uh, and I'm here in Utah in the US. I love New Zealand. We were talking a little bit about this in the pre-interview. I've been there a handful of times, and, and it's just such a beautiful place. Uh, and uh, both, both islands uh, are enchanting, and I just uh, have loved my time there. So I'm a little bit jealous that, uh, that you, you are there. Uh, and I have to say, give, you know, we're, we're 18 months into this pandemic, and New Zealand's kind of the poster child for, like, handling things well <laughs> in terms of the impacts of everything re- related to COVID.
1: It is, Jonathan, um, certainly in, in certain areas. Um, thank you for saying the word we meaning small because that's the language that New Zealanders use. So clearly you have visited uh, this beautiful place. Um, yeah, we, we had some really good political leadership in the early days to realize we're a bunch of islands in the South Pacific. If we lock down our borders early and if we quarantine everybody coming in and we only have residents and citizens uh, coming home, we can limit the spread of COVID. So, in 18 months we've had something either 27 or 28 deaths total.
0: Uh, I mean, just right here in Utah, and we're not like a terribly populous state. Um, you know, we're we uh, I don't know, maybe two million people, a million and a half, two million people in the state of Utah, and uh, we just continue to unfortunately, we just continue to have really high levels of hospitalizations and, and uh, the death toll continues to rise. So um, it's it's a sad thing. I, I think in the U.S. we haven't handled things very well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and maybe we'll get to this as well. Um, it was a good demonstration of really clear leadership uh, by our prime minister um, 18 months ago. And, and I think this is one key lesson I've shared with my clients around the world, um, is that she did explain why she was locking us down. And so it was really, really simple. As you know from New Zealand culture, um, family is really at the heart of a lot of the culture of New Zealand. Everything's about family. And part of that is respecting the elders. And that particularly comes from the indigenous population, uh, the New Zealand Maori, where they have a principle of it takes a, it takes a village to raise a child. So similar to a lot of European com- uh, countries around the Mediterranean. Um, or a lot of Hispanic countries, actually, in Far East countries where three generations work closely together. She said to us all, I need the whole team of five million to get together on this. And we're doing it to protect our elders. And so that's your old school teacher, your old school principal. Um, that's the your grandparent down the street. It's the old Navy you wave to. That's who you're protecting by staying home. And New Zealanders then get on board with that because we're very culture driven in this nation, very values based and people understand family we understand the importance of the third generation so it was partly driven through respect of elders that people stayed home when we were locked down
0: well yeah that that's really great context and and it does actually feed well into the topic of our conversation today uh, we're going to be focusing on on aligning core values with the way we operate our business, and certainly, I think that's manifest in you know the political realm in New Zealand in terms of uh, dealing with COVID, as you just mentioned. Um, as we get started, I just wanted to share Ambrose's bio with everybody. Ambrose Blowfield is one of Australia's leading trainers and speakers in sales, marketing, and business growth. He has both top-class academic and ex- experience-based knowledge from working at many leading international companies. Having completed the highest-rated bilingual business degree in the UK, he was one of only 15 applicants chosen from over 3,000 to join Procter & Gamble UK on their prestigious graduate program. He then worked for Australia's leading recruitment company, where he achieved double the average sales growth for his team. He then joined the world's leading financial recruitment firm, Robert half international. After a two-year contract in business development for New Zealand's leading engineering consortium where he brought in over a hundred million in project sales opportunities from scratch, Ambrose then joined his wife, Joe in 2005 at the marketing company where he found his true calling in helping businesses grow. Now dedicates most of his time to its sister company, the Sales Mastery Company. The focus being on developing world-class business-to-business salespeople and sales managers. Ambrose has delivered training in person in ten different countries, while his online training has helped over fifteen thousand businesses in Mm twenty countries across six continents, making over two billion in additional sales. Mm Ambrose is a dynamic, passionate, and professional trainer and speaker whose energy is contagious. Giving is one of his core values, which has seen him active with the christmasbox.co.nc, a local soup kitchen, and helping over 1,500 businesses worldwide for free, helping them adapt to the changes brought about through COVID-19. Thanks again so much for joining us. It's just a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to add? Uh, by way of background or personal context, before we launch on into the conversation.
1: No, thank you, Jonathan. I always get embarrassed when people read out all aspects of my my <laughs> bio because I've adopted the Kiwi culture of humility. So I find it very difficult to hear someone talk about me in that way.
0: Uh, well, you know, it's it, I appreciate the humility, um, but it's also a tremendous background, and I and I thank appreciate you. you sharing your expertise with us today. Absolutely. So you know, as I as I framed in the in the outset we're going to be talking about aligning core values. Now you one of your core values is giving and so at, yes. at the tail end of your bio there's a little bit about that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of those core values that you have and then how those have translated into how you've run the businesses you've been involved with and then we can yes. zoom out and talk more generally about how leaders can approach doing that within their own organizations.
1: Absolutely, perfect structure. I love that, Jonathan. And values is something I, I'm, you know, I'm incredibly obsessed of. If I may, I'm going to talk about it in three ways. I guess the first, my first exposure to core values. Um, then I'll talk about um how my wife and I, um, she started this business we now run in 2004. I joined her in 2005. I'll talk about you know how we used core values in those early days, and then I'll talk about how we've evolved core values now that you know coming up to 20 years of working with them. So. My first exposure to core values was actually being recruited by Procter & Gamble, obviously out of Cincinnati, Ohio, global best company in the world for consumer goods. At the time, just behind Rubbermaid, they were the second most respected company on the planet. And I had a friend whose father worked for them in Europe. I actually was raised in Switzerland, in, in Geneva, where the United Nations is and the World Health Organization. And, you know, can I, really can I just it. can I just yes.
0: interrupt for a second? Sure. Because, man, you're just making me even more jealous. I also Geneva is also such a beautiful and fascinating it place. A beautiful place, <laughs> Yes,
1: absolutely. And then, of course, you know, you'll get me more upset when I tell you that my international business degree had me for three years in the UK, uh, but one year in Grenoble <laughs> in France in amongst the Alps. So I, I had to suffer my way through 38 days of skiing uh, while also completing 100 percent in French. Uh, a French business school. Um, and then, uh, and then I know you've traveled, Jonathan. Um, I then having quit Prudence and Gamble, I did ha- have to live in Sydney for four years while the Olympics was going on, fell in love with my now wife and we lived this incredible life. So I won't, I won't mention the 42 or 44 countries I've visited. That's, that's for another discussion, Jonathan. Um, how, fun, the, how fun, how fun. And to me, and funnily enough, that is one of my core values if they're having fun. So let's talk about it. My exposure to Prudence and Gamble, what blew me away because People like Mars, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Johnson & Johnson, they used to do what was referred to as the milk round. They'd go to major cities in the UK and Europe, they'd put on a presentation. And if you're a a soon to be university graduate, you'd attend these talks. And for a couple of hours, they'd tell you how marvelous they were. Procter & Gamble stood up and said, it's all about the people. And then they proceeded to demonstrate that by talking about the training and the coaching and investment They made in their people, not the wages. Now, I won't speak about the others that I listened to, but one of them that makes pet food and um, and owns Wrigley's uh, chewing gum and Mars bars, to keep it really, really simple, um, those people stood up and they said, we're all about the money. You'll join us. We'll pay you more money than anybody else. And how dare anyone else pay you more than us? In fact, if you bring us a job offer elsewhere, we will beat it. It almost sounded like a hardware store doing some sort of infomercial. And that doesn't appeal to me. To me, the people side and the people development, are, and that obviously I've built a business on that for nearly 20 years now, is developing people. And they had seven core values. Now, I'm not going to read them out now because I've been gone 20 years from P&G, but the fact remains is those core values were the basis on which they recruited us. For example, we wanted to have people who could problem solve, what we now call in business critical thinking. So at the interview stage, they would ask you a competency-based question to see... Could you align to their values in problem solving? They would say, Ambrose, tell me of a time when you had to solve a problem. And I might have talked about the, oh, I remember backpacking through Europe when I was 17, and then my, my cousin and I got stuck, and, and we did this to overcome the problem with no money. And they went, great, so he can solve a problem. Right, tell me another time you've had an example. Oh, well, I remember studying in France for a year, and, and this came up, and this is what we did to solve the problem because we did the project for Renault motor vehicles. Oh, yeah, cool, got it, what else? And so what they were using the core values for was to say, if you're not aligned to these core values, you don't even join us. Now, that's something I've taken with me, because a lot of our clients are more small to medium-sized businesses, so I often get to work with the business owner. And when they say to me, you know, what's your number one principle around recruitment? And I go, don't hire anyone who's not going to be aligned to core values, because two outcomes are the only ones that will happen long-term. Either they will self-select out of your team and business, or you'll kick them out. And as I've said to people over many years, and as you mentioned, I've trained about 15,000 businesses now, it hasn't ever not been the case. If someone comes in who is not aligned to the core values or someone who you inherit in your team doesn't align to those core values, you're not going to promote them because they don't exhibit the right behaviors. They will cut corners and either they'll jump out or you'll kick them out. And it's absolutely non-negotiable. So, you know so that that's I guess an exposure go ahead,
0: go ahead. Can, can we just I mean maybe maybe it's implicit in in uh, what you're saying, but to make it really explicit, that is really harmful to organizations when when you, when you bring people in that don't fit with the core values now wh- whether you kick them out or they self select out, regardless that turnover is incredibly costly it has negative impacts on the team dynamics and the productivity and the innovation of the organization and so it's very smart uh, that that they took that approach in terms of hiring Amazing. towards core values um, and and they saw perhaps sooner than uh was kind of typical and and na- nowadays i think more people get the core values issue whether yes. or not they actually put it into practice or not but procter right. and gamble kind of let out right in in terms and, of really and making and that a key point
1: midnight uh, mid-90s right so, you know, I, I was exposed to them in the mid 90s because I'm old and um, for them to have had it so ingrained into it suggests that they had it in place for a decade or two before that. So I'm guessing that p and I could confidently say, you know, by about the 80s, they've kind of nailed it. Now, at that stage, keep in mind, they were by the mid 80s, they were probably 130, 140 years old. So they'd learned their lessons. They were already in 190 countries. So they'd certainly developed over time. A little bit like your podcast is in over 100 countries. They'd done good and and lived by that. And I guess they'd played around with it. The thing that I thought, thought was amazing was when you did quarterly progress reviews or quarterly performance reviews with your manager and their manager, the nature of the structure of those was also aligned to the same seven core values. So it was the case of you couldn't get in without them. But you couldn't stay without them because they wouldn't sit down and go, you know, what's your knowledge? You know, what's your GPS score? You know, how many, you know, how many degrees have you got? They That was that was to get through the door to have a degree to get through the door. But the case was, we'll teach you what you need to know. We'll give you the skills, which they did. They will give, we'll give you the knowledge, you know. But ultimately, you need to bring you. You need to bring your attitude and who you are as a person. And then we can shape you into what we need to shape you into. And, and I trusted that. Until my best friend moved to Sydney or was about to move to Sydney, Australia via Auckland. And I thought, you know what, I've just got to go and live in Australasia. I, I'd fallen in love with people in this part of the world and the pace of life. So I aligned to my core values around fun and spent 20, I've spent 20 years living in a place that's really fun.
0: and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, well, well I really love that. I mean, there, there's so much there that's just so important. One, you've figure it out for yourself, what your core values were. I think that's super yes. important. So having values alignment and value congruence um, between individuals and the organizations they're working for is really essential to having really dynamic teams and effective organizations that consistently, you know, sustainably bring value to the marketplace. Uh, yes. And so everything you just described, I think really articulates that quite well. Um, the the, the PNG example of how they hired for core values also was you know is really just a really prime example. We we need to be able to do that more and more within our organizations. That will save us all sorts of heartache and trouble, <laughs> in terms of how yep. we're leading. And it does mean we have to invest a little bit more upfront into the process, Definitely. right? Definitely. Because assessing values and value alignment, values congruence is mm-hmm. is not super simple. Um, no. you, know, you can you can ask the you know some questions that kind of get at it, but you also have to dig a little deeper. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about how they went about doing that and how you've done that in some of the organizations you've been uh, associated with.
1: Yeah, great question, Jonathan. For, for me, this is actually something we teach in, in a sales manager program we've got, um, Whereas I say to people, you know, it's just non-negotiable. If the person's not going to be aligned to core values, don't even waste the time. Even if they come with a little black book of, of amazing contacts that are going to help them grow, eventually you're going to clash. So- I guess what I've observed and what I've used over the years um, is that at the interview stage, you can ask competency-based questions to find out, does this person live these behaviors? That's what you're trying to get to. We talk about core values to say, does this person live by these principles or behaviors, not what do they think? The problem about most interview questions is someone will say, this is our market, this is our business, what do you think about it? Or what would you do when you're here? And all you're testing is their cognitive Cleverness—they're thinking, and most people, if they're well educated or well researched, they can kind of get away and give you a great answer. Now, most of the times, they can live to those answers, but some of the time they can't. As you said, Jonathan, you know, if you were to lose somebody, hire someone who is wrong, the cost to the business is going to be somewhere in between a hundred thousand in direct costs, even if you let them go after a few months, and then probably past the million in indirect costs, the opportunity cost of not hiring the right person, the undermining of the culture of the team, the motivation of those around. If you hire a wrong person, it's gonna cost you a million bucks, particularly in a larger corporate, in indirect costs, minimum, and that's most of the statistics they talk about. that. But again, ask the questions around when you've exhibited the behavior. For us, it's giving. So what we would ask in our company is, even if they're a subcontractor, and I wanna stress that, even if they're not a fully paid employee, If they're a subcontractor to us, we would ask them, so giving, you're not going to say giving is a core value, tell me when you give, because that's obvious. What I would say is, tell me how you spend your time, or tell me who's been a mentor in your life. You know, we teach, so if this person doesn't understand that they've had a mentor or a great coach, then they don't understand the principle of learning, and we think we need to continuously you know, develop ourselves and our clients. So we'd ask them, tell me how you spend your time. Um, tell me a way that you've given back to your alma mater. Tell me when you've given back to your family, to your friends. Tell me what role you play. You've mentioned you've got three younger siblings. Tell me what role you play in their life. And by listening to their story, you'll start to realize, has this person got a giving, servitude nature You know, obviously, Bible people talking about sort of a service based leader or a servitude based leader. You know, is that what you're looking for? And if it is, you'll hear it in what they're saying. But if they go, well, it's all about me and I lead from the front and I lead by example, if that suits your company, which I suspect the Mars Corporation, you know, in the mid 90s, it would have suited them, then you should go down that pathway for your career. So that would be the key for me, Jonathan, at the interview stage. The other one, and I will throw this in. And I worked in recruitment, as you said, in Sydney, Australia, a very common step that a good recruiter will do is in-depth reference checking. They will speak to the people that worked with them day in, day out for 50 hours a week. What I see is a lot of large corporates, they will outsource to someone like Robert Half International or Hayes Recruitment, and they will say, you do the reference checks. But the person that you're asking to do the reference checks has a vested interest in placing the job because they get 20,000 bucks or whatever it is for the payment. Of course the reference check comes back good but if that person works for you it's your responsibility even if the reference checks were done before you because you need to ask these questions out of interest you know this takes jonathan right how you know how does jonathan perform under pressure and they'll say oh he's really good he thrives on it and so, how does he really perform or what's jonathan like on a bad day or who does jonathan clash with and why and then you'll hear the truth that, and it's not that you're trying to catch this person out. You just want to hear the truth and go, I can help that person join my team or they don't belong in my team. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, and just to highlight that, um, it's better for everybody mm. <laughs> uh, to figure this out early, right? Um, 100%. Now, you know, me as the applicant, I may not feel that way if I don't get selected um, due to incongruence of values, but ultimately in the long run, it will be better for me because I'll be free i 'm still a free agent I can go and I can find an organization I align better with where where i 'm going to succeed uh, i 'll have a better chance yes. of of having success being fulfilled um, and ultimately you know I can live a more fulfilled, happy life and have a more productive career if i 'm aligned with the organization i 'm working with so it 's better for me as the applicant it 's certainly yes. better for the organization uh, yes. and and really we 're doing people a favor when we are clear eyed about these, these core values and what we want to uh, put forward as, as kind of our, our foundational approach to how we do business.
1: Definitely, Jonathan. And I'm pleased you picked up on that. I think a lot of managers, they want to do good. They want to be ethical. They want to be, do, you know, be fair to everybody. Well, not everyone's going to be fair to your company. Those that are not aligned to your core values will not be fair in return. Um, I think there's also a human need, particularly for managers and leaders who are raised in a household with lots, lots of strong uh, values. They would, they would think, oh, I'm going to do them good. I could really help them. If they join our team, it would be, I could really help them. Or worse still, we can fix them. If we take this bad person who's got values of cutting corners or being unethical, if they're part of our moral and ethical team, that'll fix them. Well, you know what? If you want to fix somebody, go volunteer at the soup kitchen, go help out, you know, go help kids in the street corner who maybe not have had the privileges that you've had. There's so many ways you can help the world, but do not run your business and your team like a charity. Be profitable, give to charities, Sponsor to charities, volunteer to charities, but don't run your team like it.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. And and just bringing it back to what you were saying earlier, I mean, you, you do, this is, this is something that is being said from a someone who has giving as a core value who has servant yeah, leadership as a core value um so you're not just like some uh harsh uh no. soul soulless heartless capitalist
1: <laughs> but- I'm, I'm the opposite absolutely i mean <laughs> i mean in, in as you said before what i'm you know what i'm most proud of um in the 17 years of us owning and running this business together because even before i joined my wife full-time uh, i was obviously doing extra work in in the setup for year of that um for us, what I'm most proud of in the 17 years is the times we've given back. We had a deadly earthquake in Christchurch, New Zealand in 2011, where we lost 160 lives. And, and that's a lot for a country of 5 million. And everyone's, my wife used to live in Christchurch. She had friends whose who's sort of houses were flooded and wrecked and everything else. And we put together a concert five weeks later in our province of Karanaki, New Zealand, to raise money for Christchurch, It was the main fundraiser. That's probably my most proud moment in business was that we had time and the skills to do that. Um, when COVID hit, we lost 65% of our income because no longer could I travel 100 nights a year away from New Zealand. Um, and a third of our business is online training and coaching. So we had enough to keep going. But a third of income versus you know, the other two thirds we lost overnight tested us. But last year, our goal was let's work out what minimum money do we need as a family to get through our year. And then essentially, how many businesses can we help for free? The number we hit was 1,500. And our church was fundraising as well. And we said, well, the rest of our money we'll give to the church because the church was trying to have 20 million New Zealand dollars. So that's about 15 million US of, of impact into the community of Australia, New Zealand, South Pacific starting this year. So they needed to pay down their debt so they could start, essentially start giving away 15 million a year. And we believed in that cause. And we know that they can do a great job with soup kitchens and other things to do that. Um, And so last year, even losing two thirds of our income, we went back as a family, sat down our kids and went, kids, we've got skills. We can help people who can't afford help uh, to help them regrow their businesses so they can feed their families. We know how much we need to live. And we know what our church needs to raise. So if we just do those three things, and that was nine months last year, it was one of the most enjoyable years with the least money in our bank account we've ever had.
0: Yeah. And it really does highlight, you know, what brings, what can bring the most joy and satisfaction in life and stuff and things and money really isn't it. I mean, people need, people need enough to survive to meet their basic needs to keep, you know, shelter and food and um, you know, do those things. And that's, super important. And, and and that's, you know, it sounds like one of the reasons why your family was focusing the way it was on on giving back, even while you Absolutely. were in a time of need yourself. Um, so that's, so that's, that's tremendous. And again, all of this then feeds into how you know, hopefully we're running our businesses Now I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone else li- who's listening on, on what those core values need to be for you but Listen. you need you need to stop and think and reflect and, and have conversations with your team about you know what those core values are. If you already have some identified, are you living up to them? If you don't have any identified, uh, what should they be uh, and what really gets at the heart of what you you as an organization are doing and, and trying to accomplish? Uh, it, it's really important as a foundational component to any successful business that you that you are clearly articulate those core values, and then you find ways to really embed it, um, embed yes. those those elements throughout the organization, just like you were talking at P and G. So so vitally important. And then once you do that, then you're in a position uh, to to make it part of the hiring process, the, the process of uh, performance reviews and and Giving people promotions and 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 within a matter of just not too long a time, in a matter of a few years, you can start to see pretty tremendous cultural change within your organization as the organization comes into alignment with those core values.
1: That, that's hundred percent right. That's a really great summary, uh, Jonathan. I wish we had a lecturer like you at university. If they, of the four years I spent at university, no one ever summarized organizational behavior and core values like you just did. If you. That would have saved me probably three years of the four, to be honest. So I take my hat off to you. That, that's a brilliant summary. I guess I would also comment, if I may, you can have organizational core values. So if you're a large corporation, would say 1,000 or more workers, you're going to have organizational core values. And then your team can have adapted core values for your team. You know, I spend my time mostly coaching sales directors and sales managers and salespeople. And obviously, those people are quite vibrant, pretty results-driven so, you know, they could develop or evolve their own sort of team core values. Now, the key thing I want to stress here is you can have your team have subtly different core values, but they cannot clash with the corporate core values. Think of it like a big family. You can't have a cousin misbehave. So you cannot cut corners and clash, but you can have subtly team ones. Because often what I get is I talk to, say, a sales manager. They might have 10 or 20 salespeople. And they go, Oh look, our team are not motivated by the core company values. I wish we could have our own. It's like you can. Get your team to buy into them, clearly define them, talk about what is right behavior and wrong behavior that those values, but you cannot clash with the mothership. You can't clash with the corporate whole. And um, if they complement, you're gonna have your own one in the team.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, Ambrose, it has been a real pleasure. I'm noting the time, which has just flown by. Um, I need to let you go and and get on with your busy day. Um, But I really appreciate all the insights, the wisdom that you shared. And before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your organization, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. And again, it's been an absolute privilege. I'd have have happily sat here and listened to you, to be honest. Um, So thank you so much. If they can spell the name Ambrose, which is A-M-B, then Rose like the flower, and then Blowfield, which is as in the wind blows and in the field like you run through, they can find me on LinkedIn. Alternatively, my main business is salesmasterycompany.com. And if people go into the free stuff, so if you go to salesmastery.com into the free stuff, there's some downloadable tools there for leadership. And I'm inspired by this and giving giving is a core value. What I'm going to do, Jonathan, is I'll create a free tool in there about values and how you can actually create a short list and discuss it with your team. So I'll create a download there for people to get access to it. And in that way, we can give away and help people grow and be great leaders and great managers and build great prosperity around the world.
0: Wonderful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Ambrose. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate everything that you shared. I encourage listeners to reach out to get connected, find out more about what Ambrose and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.